Welcome to the Wilsdon New Testament Church of God podcast, where the building is closed, but the church is open. Hope is perhaps for some a bit of a challenging idea right now. And maybe we at times find ourselves uh, in the, the exhaustion of some of the Old Testament sages who they, they cried to God in their spirits and, and said, Oh Lord, how long? How long? Persisting, holding on, waiting for the answering of prayers, waiting for the victories to materialize. And that's where you're saying, well, Lord, we've, we've been going forward. We've been holding on. We've been pressing forward. But Lord, how long do we wait for the prayers to be answered? How long do we wait for the victory to be present for us? How long before we enter into your peace in our world? How long? Well, Paul, to the Ephesians in chapter 6, verses uh, 10 through 18, speaks to this um, conflict. In every military conflict between nations, there are essentially two, two fundamental uh, parts to the engagement. One is the battles, and two is the overall war in which and for which these battles are being fought by the soldiers who are engaged. Um, the battles are the elements of conflict that uh, groups of soldiers are engaged in. They, they might be pressing to uh, overcome a bridge and, and cross a river to make advance. They may be pushing forward in another direction somewhere else to, to make further advances there. Or indeed, they, they may be in their bunkers and digging in because at the moment it's too fierce for them to make any progress, but they, they just can't retreat on ground that they've already gained. And so they're just holding in there. These are battles uh, in a war. But the war is the overall conflict where there are military strategists and uh, there are uh, leaders of countries who are leading this war and they are really working on the strategies so that all the battles that the soldiers, the infantry and kind are seeking to make progress in, they are overseeing this conflict, moving to the final end. This really is what it's like for Christians. The battles that we face are our personal engagements where we are challenged and we are fighting against spiritualities, principalities and powers. But we are doing this as our part in a conflict that is a major conflict the spiritual conflict between the kingdom of God, which is the kingdom of light, and the kingdom of Satan, which is a kingdom of darkness. And so these two kingdoms are 
an, an engagement. The principalities and the powers under Satan in delusion are insisting on their rebellion against God, futile as that rebellion is. And on the other hand, God continuing to assert his sovereignty, God continuing to assert his will, and God continuing to bring his kingdom into full flourish here on earth in that ultimate cosmic victory that that will be God's. So this is what Ephesians is laying out as what the battle is all, all about. And it's not only showing us the overall canvas of what the war is all about and who the principal protagonists are, God and Satan, but it's showing us who have aligned ourselves in accepting Jesus as our saviour and God as our acknowledged maker and sovereign, that, that we are his. And Ephesians is showing how we can be victorious in the battles we fight as we join with God in winning the war. And so what Paul offers to us is really something we can encapsulate in the title that we want to give it today, fighting your battles and winning the war. Fighting your battles and winning the war. And so we just want to think then about the battles that that we fight. Let's listen to the words again of Paul to the Ephesians about the battle, about the war. Finally, my brethren, Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armour of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness, in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armour of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. And so it's clear from this passage that the battle that we are fighting is not against flesh and blood. It's not against other people. It's not against other uh, people that we have to deal with and to do with. The real battle that the Christian is having to fight on a daily basis is the battle uh, that comes in different forms and from different sources 
but it's not flesh and blood. It's coming from the engagement and the fight against principalities and darkness. We wrestle against principalities and powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age. And so the Christian life is a battle, and the battles come in different forms, come from different sources. And the battles that come to you may not come to me, at least in the same measure, but battles that come to me may be another aspect of challenge that I have to face that is different from your challenge. And the issue is not really what is my battle and what is your battle and how does my battle compared to yours? Is mine a bigger fight? Is mine a harder thing to endure? Am I going through a more difficult time? It's that we're all in this overall war, fighting as soldiers of God, uh, our own battles, and they come in different forms from different sources, but there are points of conflict and challenge that we have to struggle and wrestle with in order to overcome and not be overwhelmed. So the battles then, uh, some of the battles that we have, you know, let, let's just think about them. Some of our battles are, are internal and uh, it, it's probably good to, you know, get to the grips and where the rubber meets the road and identify some of our struggles that we are having rather than just say, oh, yes, you know, the battle is hard but we haven't identified where our struggle is and we're not even uh, really able to, to speak to them in prayer because we haven't recognised what they are. But some of the battles that we're fighting actually are internal. Uh, there the, are times of intense temptations that you might be going through. Um we don't always admit to temptations, do we? Uh, because then we find ourselves having to confess some failures in our temptations. And we're not sure how to face our brothers and sisters if we have failed. But, you know, um, Paul said that important thing, didn't he, at the end, when, when he said putting on the armour, and after taking up the whole armour, he says, and then... Pray always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this very end of, you know, the, going to the victory in our battles, and praying with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Holding up one another's arms like they held up the arms of Moses while they fought the battle, so that the weariness Moses felt would not become the source of their weakness and defeat, but they would join in their weakened brother and say, your strength may be failing, but we're going to support you. We're going to hold you up, Moses, until you get through your battle, which will be our victory as well. And so I guess another way of understanding the reason for praying for all the saints is because in battles, people get wounded. In battles, people get um, afflicted. And our brothers and sisters, you and I, we all have moments when the blade of the instrument against us has caught us and uh, 
injured us. The question is, what do we as a Christian army do with our wounded? Do we just look at them, drop around us, and we just keep running? We just keep going forward, saying, well, there's a battle to win. We can't do now the medical bit with these. But no, Paul is saying, remember those who are weak around you and also remember those who are wounded by your side. The Bible says when we see our brothers and sisters injured in the fight, fallen to a temptation, failed in a faithfulness, somewhere their weakness has become manifested and you and I can see that they're probably not as strong as we thought they were or even they um, apparently showed to be. But do we look with um, disregard or do we pray the prayer of the soldier wearing the full armour and say, Lord, we're praying now for our wounded and we bring them to care for them, to give them counsel. And the scripture says, when you're praying for people who have fallen, remember that they were fighting the battle and somehow they entered a moment of weakness or weariness and pray for them admonish them but when you do consider yourself because you might be the next person in the front line that falls consider yourself because it could also be you it could also be me who falter and so some of our battles uh, are the internal battles that we face Doubts come along. Fear takes us. Anxiety grabs hold of us. These are the the internal struggles that are not clear to everybody else. We might not talk about them. Yeah, we might talk about the the attack that we're receiving from somebody who's uh, treating us badly. But what about our internal struggles? What about our internal weaknesses? Those are some of the battles we also have to fight. And for the fight, we need the armour of God because there is a victory that the Lord has at the end for us. Then there are times, aren't there, of um, the deep sadnesses that come to us. And sadnesses, loss and bereavement, are some of the battles we have to fight. You know, one of the great challenges in in bereavement and loss for the Christian is how do we really respond in those times? I'm told to rejoice because my loved ones have gone to be with the Lord. I do rejoice because they've gone to be with the Lord. Does that mean I have to ignore the pain and the sadness for the the heaving space that now I'm experiencing, wishing to talk and see and meet yet again with my loved one. There's so many people are in this dilemma in this time of pandemic, pandemic that we are experiencing. People who are remembering their loved ones now from a distance because they couldn't be near and be with them in their moment of passing. And it becomes a battleground in our hearts because the enemy would seek to overwhelm us with sorrow 
The Bible doesn't tell us to deny and sidestep our sorrow, but the Bible does tell us to hold the hope in front of us that tells us that they have gone to be with Jesus. <coughs> Sorry. And we are on our journey to join them with Jesus. And that's the hope and the joy that engages with our sorrow. But sometimes, you know, we're, we're fighting that part of the battle, trying to lift ourselves up with our own bootstraps. But all we can do is cast ourselves on the Lord and receive his comforts in our sorrows. And there are times also when the battles that we are fighting are battles over health, personal health, or rather the sicknesses, the illnesses that others are coping within our family, our loved ones, and we might feel helpless, uh, unable to assist them through. And that's the time of conflict for us. For some people, just going to sleep at night is a battle. They toss and turn on a pillow with thoughts and uh, activities in their minds that they just can't lay them aside and sleep with any kind of restfulness. And then there's the, you know, the kind of things that keep you awake. The loss of finances. The no longer having a place to work. And the difficulties with relationships that may be there, might be historic in people's lives. So when Paul is talking about wearing the armour of God, it's so that we might be equipped to fight these kind of battles and find victory in the Lord. There are the battles, aren't there, with the periods of great opposition and criticism where uh, you feel in the face of some people that nothing you do is ever right for them. It's good for us to always offer an encouraging word to somebody. People don't always need a critique of how well they have done. They don't always need an evaluation of what they are attempting. They sometimes just need to know that we applaud their effort and we encourage their ambition. Encouraging them in the battle. A gentleman, Cantalo Masseur, uh, speaks about our battle as being against a what he calls a triple alliance. You know, a threesome, a triad that is coming against you and against all of us. And we all uh, are faced with this triple alliance against us. He names that alliance of three as being the world, the flesh and the devil. This is the triple alliance that conspires against us uh, to, to fight against us. And so the first, our battle is against the world. And you know, part of the difficulty in fighting the battle that the world of the world that we're fighting is actually identifying who or what is this world? Is it, is it our neighbor? Is it our society? Is it about our, our government? Um, or does the Bible refer to something else when it's talking about the world? I mean, the world is also the creation. 
The world is this magnificent testimony, day-to-day utter speech. Night unto night shows knowledge through the creation, even though it's corrupted. It's still marvellous and wonderful and testifying to the glorious work of God. So that can't be the world that we're fighting against. Although as Christians, we would do well to share in the, the conscious conscientiousness about our um, ecology and pollution that uh, as Christians, anticipating a new heaven and a new earth and a glorious redeeming of all that has gone corrupt, maybe there's a message to us as believers that we should have uh, some care and conscience of what God has put us to manage for this present time until he brings uh, that full renewal. But when the Bible talks about the world and our engagement with the world, love not the world or the lusts thereof, the world has to do not with the physical universe that we are talking about, but it has to do with the corruption that is around us. It has to do with embracing values of the world that are not consistent with the values of a holy and a glorious God. Those values uh, of the world are values of selfhood and selfishness. I, me, and myself. That's a world value. Power. You know, seeking power for personal benefit or just being avaricious and and having greed or seeking fame for our own sense of aggrandizement rather than values of generosity and values of humility expressed to those around us. Values that seek justice not just for ourselves, but for all around us, all other people, justice and and equality and uh, the full dignity of our fellow human beings, not just corporately, but everyone individually who we encounter, that we recognise those are the values of the kingdom of God and the character of the Lord who said, let's make man in our image, bearing our values. And so the world with its corruptedness and the distorted values. That's where our battle lies. That's the world that invites to suck us in to the selfishness against God. Second is uh, within our flesh. So the first is is, is the world um, that is against us, and the second is the, the our flesh, and the battle comes from from within us, and we're not talking there about physical flesh, because Paul says in this passage, uh, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. He's not talking of flesh as the human physicality. He's talking about the inner nature that is now a vulnerable fallen nature within us. And the vulnerable fallen nature that is within us leaves us vulnerable to attacks of the adversary and turns it into the battle that we must fight. 
Well, just think about the temptations of Jesus. Just think about what John said in his letters. Uh, All that is in the world, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. And then marry that against the confession of Eve in the Garden of Eden. She said, well, when I saw the eyes, lust of the eyes, that the fruit was pleasant to the eyes. And when my appetite for it was aroused, it was good for food. And when my uh, appeal was against the self-aggrandizement, the serpent said, God knows that if you eat this fruit, you'll become like God. You will be able to distinguish and discern for yourself without the conscience of God in you. You'll be able to discern between good and evil. In other words, if you can discern that, as right now God discerns and expresses in your conscience, if you can do that without God, then why do you need God? And the whole basis then of this temptation was to bring us into this conflict between the principalities and the powers of darkness in conflict with the kingdom of light and truth of kingdom of God. And that with all of that, we might just fall prey to our own vulnerabilities. So Jesus was tempted, wasn't he? Uh, with regard to the eyes. Satan says, look, look, look at all of these kingdoms. I'll give them all to you if you fall and worship me. But you know, one thing to recognize in everything Satan tempts you and me with, Satan acknowledges that his defeat is accomplished and his banishment is ultimate because he said to Jesus worship me and I'll give you these and 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 before you start telling me about your sovereignty and the ultimate cosmic victory of God the creator I'm just going to claim what I'm offering you they have been given to me for a season so Satan even in his offering is insecure he knows that it's only for a season in his terms but he appealed to the appetite of Jesus. Take the stones and turn them into bread. Well, what is wrong in feeding your hunger? Nothing. The appetites are given to us by God. But that's where our battles come, where our appetites are brought into the captivity of distorted abuse. You know, our appetite for sex, our appetite for food, our appetite for uh uh, accomplishment, our appetites that are within us. The appetites are given to us by God, but our fallen nature has become a battleground where now our battle is against the fallenness of our flesh, our human nature that is deprived and fallen. And here we are told that not only the world with distorted values are we fighting against the distortedness but we're also fighting against the vulnerability that is within us. Our fallen nature inside of us, inside of you and me, is also the place where your battle and my battle is taking place. Let's be aware of it. And also, you know, jump off the pinnacle. And when they see you land on the ground and you don't go splat and you can't get up, you just get up and walk away, the people are going to say, wow. What an achievement. 
but simply self-aggrandizement. The Bible is not against us doing all we can to achieve all we can and maximize all the potential that God has endowed each and every one of us with. Not to compare our achievements against one another and to pride ourselves above others and to uh, denigrate others who we say, well, you're not as great as I am, are you? Look at me. No. Self-aggrandizement rather than committing to God our abilities and praise him for engaging them is also part of this inner battleground. And then the third is the area of spiritual forces. Spiritual wickedness is in high places. So the battle is the uh, corruption around us. The battlefield and the battle test is with the vulnerabilities within us. And the battle is also against that supreme adversary, the devil. Supreme where we are concerned but still subject to the Lord who is sovereign God of all the world and all that is in it. So what about this armour that we wear? Paul gives some telling phrases. He says, uh, put on uh, the armour, stand fast, having, uh, stand fast in the liberty, Sorry, the wrong wrong scripture there. He tells us there to stand fast, and then he says to us, uh, put on the whole armour of God. And the phrase that Paul uses there is take up. Therefore, take up the whole armour of God so you may stand, you may be able to withstand, and at the end of the battle, you will still be found standing. And so this phrase, Take up is a a term of military reference. And even at this point, before we start dressing ourselves with the elements of the armour suit, it's already promising us something wonderful because the the, the phrase, take up this armour, was really echoing uh, how the soldiers... And the army understood what it was to put the armour on. They had been told to prepare for battle. And the last action that they fulfilled to prepare to fight, to prepare to engage, to prepare to enter from the tent into the battlefield, the last thing that they did was to take up the armour. It was actually in its action part of the strategy of winning. Putting on the armour that testified to your readiness for the battle. It was the final step you made before you entered the engagement and started fighting the fight. Oh, what an enabling thought for us. Because God is saying to us, take up, put on the armour, and also don't even attempt to start this fight until you've put the armour on. It's the last act of preparedness to fight. 
but it's also the glorious assurance that you have that once you've got the full armor on, you know that you're ready to face the adversary. You know that uh, what principalities and powers and things present and things to come and life are even a th <coughs> even a threat of death. None of these things will move you because you are endowed with the armor. You are fully robed with and equipped to fight. And so you say, well, I can step from the safety of the tent and I can go into the, 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 the flurry of this battle because I have got on the armor that will sustain me. Your overcoming and my overcoming depend on you and me wearing God's armor. And then we can hear the Lord saying that this is, uh, Paul saying, this is the armor of God. It's not by your might and it's not by my might. It's by being uh, protected and enabled with the elements of the armor that comes from God. Hallelujah. We dress ourselves in the armor. We take up the armor. We receive the offering of the clothing of the engagement. But the clothing is designed by God, is given by God, is conferred by God. It's the armor not of mine. It's the armor of God that I'm wearing. Oh, isn't that a contrast? When David went to fight a battle, David knew that the last action you take to fight in a battle, to engage in a conflict, is to put on the armour. Well, he didn't have one. But it seemed that's what the soldiers do. And Saul, the king, said to David, about to go and fight Goliath, he said, David, where are you going? The last thing you do when you enter a military conflict, is put on the armour. Even if it's the armour of somebody else. Well, I'm going to give you my, my armour. And you should feel pretty proud, David. You're wearing the armour of the King of Israel. But David found it didn't fit. It didn't work. He couldn't go with it. It was not what he needed. But the point was, David was being offered the clothing to fight. It was coming from somebody else because he didn't have the armour. And it was found unfit because it was another person's armour. But what Paul is saying to me and saying to you, he's saying, take up, gird yourself with the armour of God. You need an armour. Don't even bother with trying to fight like somebody else. Don't bother in trying to speak like somebody else or to pray like somebody else. Go to God and receive what he will clothe you with, which is his armour. We're all wearing the same suit and it comes from God and assures us we're well equipped. So when he says, after all of that, stand therefore, he's saying, you have put on the last act of preparation, so stand and don't be pushed back. Those elements. Stand therefore. Uh, 
And notice he says three havings and three takings. Stand therefore, having girded yourself with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the gospel of peace, and then the takings, taking the shield of faith, taking the helmet of salvation, and taking the sword of the Spirit. There are the havings and the takings in wearing the armour of God, having girded ourselves with truth. He's referring to the belt that the soldiers, the Roman soldiers wore and saying that everything hangs on the belt, the sword, everything. And for you and me in this fight of the battles we're seeking to win in, everything hangs upon us standing in truth and integrity and standing in the truth of Jesus. And putting on the breastplate of righteousness so that we are, in all our vital organs, we are protected. And putting on the breastplate of righteousness is not our self-righteousness, but relying, as we confess the faith of Jesus, relying on the righteousness he clothes us with, covered with the robes of righteousness that he has given to me and given to you. And also shot with the preparation of the gospel of peace. The, uh, the, the soldiers, the Roman soldiers' uh, shoes were quite quite heavy uh, and, and, and quite um, a feature. And, and in the southern, they were they were studded with, with, with metal, so they had grip, and also they, they had stability in those shoes. They had to walk on long marches. They had to endure walking over rough terrain. So they needed shoes that were up to the journey. Let us put on a peace of God to reign in our hearts and us to share with all around us, knowing that whatever the conflicts, we live in the peace of God. And take that shield of faith with which we can quench the fiery darts of the adversary. Talking about the, the areas of our battle that we go through, then we recognize we we realize that the journey is long oh lord how long let's make sure that uh we have the shield of faith so that when we are tested and brought to doubts and sinking in anxiety we don't depend on reasoning our way out we combat the devil's assaults against our trust by simply lifting our faith to god where we say, I acknowledge there's some things I'd like to know, but I don't know. But I have a faith in the promise and the faithfulness of God to keep me. And take the helmet of salvation, you know, that helmet on the head that is declaring that I am the child of God. I'm kept against the temptations by the continually wearing on my head the reminder and the knowledge that I am not just blessed by God with blessings of this and that, but I am actually made to be a child of the Lord, my Redeemer. I live in the salvation, which is the gift of God, the eternal life <coughs> by which I make all my judgments. And finally, that sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. 
The word of God is my counsel, my comfort, my caution, so that I will be victorious in the battle. So what about the war then that God is winning? It's rather amazing that we've been reading about putting on this armour, reading about it in the last chapter of Ephesians, in the, in the end of the book. And that tells us that our conflict is with the principalities and powers and princes of darkness in the high places, the heavenly realms. But right at the beginning of the book, Paul <coughs> is talking there about the same principalities and powers. But he's talking about them in terms of winning the war. In chapter 6, he's talking about you and me fighting our battles. But in chapter 1, he's talking about God winning the war. And he's declaring that God has already won the war and will consummate the war in his own time before he says to us, so now you join the battle. Because he says some marvellous things there. Uh, I won't take the time to read it in chapter 1 uh, of Ephesians 18 to 23 he 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 says that what uh, I want you to be assured of is that you might know what is the hope of his calling it's all wrapped up in there we started with hope didn't we saying that you know how long uh, do we just keep on hoping and Paul said I want you to know the hope of God's calling in you and he talks about Things like, like God has done that you uh, might know uh, the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe. According to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. And that's the great thing, because now he says he seated him in heavenly places. <laughs> remember, we're fighting against the powers of darkness in realms above, where Christ is in heavenly places, even above the places of the realms where these spiritual forces roam and fight. In the resurrection of Jesus, Paul is saying, God defeated the principalities and powers. I listened recently to Tom Wright, New Testament scholar, um, saying that the last thing of harm you can do to anybody is to kill them. After you've brought death to them, there's nothing more you can do to them. And here is Jesus, death through the instrumentation of Satan and using <coughs> mankind, Judas. <coughs> Sorry. Death was brought upon Jesus. But actually, he surrendered himself to death. But then, that was not the end of the story because on the resurrection, Jesus is there and is saying, what is he saying? The last thing you can do to anybody is death. I've just born death and now I'm alive and I'm holding the keys of death. So what is Paul saying? He's saying that the principalities and the powers can only threaten you and me with defeat. But death, as the eternal death, 
Our victory is that the principalities and powers and all of these things have been put under the feet of Jesus in his resurrection. And so, Paul is saying, refresh yourself on the hope of your calling. Remember that Jesus is resurrected and he's holding the keys of the death by which he was slain, and you and me. He's seated in the realms of the heavenly places, and he's above the realm of the conflict of the principalities and the powers uh, and the dominions. And Paul says there uh, that the Lord put everything under his feet and, verse 22, gave him Christ to be the head of all things to the church. Now, he could have just said, the head of the church. And other places say Jesus is the head of the church. But here he's saying he's not just the head of the church, he's head of all the cosmic powers, <coughs> all the dominions, all those engaged in the kingdom of darkness against the kingdom of light. And are putting you and me through our battles as well. He is the head of them all and they are under his feet. And Paul says there in that chapter, this is from the age that is now and going from this age to the age to come. A lovely phrase is in Matthew chapter 6, verse 13, at the end of the prayer that the Lord taught the disciples to pray. It says, yours be the power, yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. That word forever doesn't, communicate what it's trying to say to us because it's a phrase that says yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory and the word we translate forever comes from the phrase into the aeons into the ages and Matthew ends up by saying into the ages of the ages so there is just an endless repetition of the ages of the ages and here uh, Paul is saying that the principalities and powers they may be fighting to win a war but they're going to lose but he's saying there that they're active in the age now but Christ is active throughout all ages. Their defeat is waiting for them. Our victory is coming to us. So Paul talks about the working of his mighty power toward an intended end. And that intended end is the cosmic triumph, the total overcoming by the King of Kings, and so the working of God's mighty power, Paul says, is toward the intended view of the triumph of the king. But it's also, he says, toward us who believe. So the working of the power that raised Jesus from death and placarded him above and in the face of all the minions of darkness, then all of that power that was in Christ and raising him is toward the final victory, but it's also toward you and I who believe. So, fight your battles, because God 
is winning the war. Shall we pray? Thank you, Lord, for your encouragement that even though we sigh and say, Lord, how long? How long before my personal victories come? How long before my hopes are realized? How long, Lord, before my prayers, I see the answers? But Lord, help us also to be strengthened today and not wearied and to fight the battles that come to us, Lord, the battles that come from within, the battles that come from around, the battles that come from above, wherever they come from and however they are described in my personal experience. Help us today, Lord, to wear the armour of God, knowing, O oh Lord, that we are making a statement in the armour that our strength to fight, our defence for overcoming, our victory that is promised as we fight the good fight in the name of the one who gives us the armour to wear, that, Lord, our victory our overcoming is assured, not only in your ultimate victory for which we wait, but we wait now with joy and encouragement as we fight with fresh renewal in our battling, fighting our battles. So Lord, give to all of us now, we pray, the strength of your victory in our combats in your name until that final victory which we celebrate and applause, dear Lord, in the name of Jesus. 